I am Simone Seoul, and I am the Korean mom you never knew you needed. This is an uncensored business podcast where we howl at the capitalist patriarchy and rediscover our own wild ways. Hey guys, I wanted to share with you something that's been on my mind a lot, something that I've been thinking about, and it's about a whole new kind of business model, which is not actually new. It's actually very old. It might even be ancient, <laughs> but I think it's kind of new in the sense that I haven't seen a lot of talk of this in the wider online business world. And again, that's not to say that people haven't talked about it or practice it. I am sure that they, they do, but I think a lot of it is kind of overpowered by all the loudest noise <laughs> that's coming from, you know, all the people who are like, grow, 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 hustle, 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 bro marketing, all that stuff, right? So when I say it's new, I put a giant asterisk on that. So it's not actually new. And I do acknowledge that a lot of people are quietly practicing this. And I know that because many of my clients are, but I kind of want to put a name to it and introduce it to you as a framework. It might be even too early to call it a framework, but anyway, I want to present it to you in the way that I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> so it's still in the middle of being formed, fully formed in my brain, but I want to sh share with you my work in progress. And that is how to think about a business whose aim is not to grow to infinity, whose aim is not to scale. I'm going to call this the unscaled business and the unscalable business and the way that I want to call it to make it stick to your ears, <laughs> to make it kind of fun, is to invite you to think of it as a mom and pop shop model of business, as opposed to the giant corporate model of business. But it's not just any mom and pop shop, but the kind of mom and pop shop that is a neighborhood treasure and a pillar of community. Now, I don't know if you know of these businesses, if you have known of them in your life growing up, or maybe you know them in real life right now in your community, but I was lucky enough to have seen quite a few of these businesses when I was young and still, you know, where I live in Korea. And there are a lot of big corporations in Korea and multinationals, you know, that have a presence in Korea. But I feel very lucky that I still live in a time where a lot of small businesses have a strong presence in the community. And these are, you know, mom and pop shop. They're not literally always <laughs> run by mom and mom and pop, but it's, it's a manner of speaking, right? I'm trying to connote a certain kind of vibe. And again, not just any mom and pop shop, but the kind that is considered a neighborhood treasure, you know, the kind of shop, restaurant, whatever it is where people say, Oh my God. It's, you have to visit this place if you come to our neighborhood. It's a treasure and the kind that serves as a pillar of community. Somehow, as if the community would be less, it wouldn't be quite itself. It wouldn't be fully, you know, vibrant without this establishment, without this business. So it's kind of clunky, but I'm going to call it the mom and pop shop business model that is a neighborhood treasure and pillar of community. <laughs> so I've been thinking about what are the common characteristics of the mom and pop shop business model and what do they stand for? What do they all have in common? And I've been reading over the years, I've been kind of reading books about these kinds of businesses because they fascinate me. 
And I've been studying them in real life and, you know, reading whatever books I can find about specific businesses that have become like a case study for this kind of way of doing business. And I was able to draw some broad patterns. And I want to tell you that these patterns don't apply 100% to every single one of these businesses. And in, in some ways, I'm kind of talking about an idealized version. But what I'm about to offer you is an amalgamation of what I understand to be some of the common patterns of these businesses. So I want to lay out a few characteristics, a few things that really make these businesses what they are and enable them to be so strong and have such a powerful and impactful presence in their communities and make them resilient and sustainable and so treasured, so valued by the communities they serve beyond the immediate transactions that take place. So the first characteristics of these businesses is that they prioritize relationships over profit. So an example of prioritizing relationship over profit, maybe let's say you are a restaurant and I keep, I'm going to keep going back to probably like restaurant examples because mom and pop shop, as far as they go, a lot of the examples that I know are of <laughs> restaurants. And let's say there's a small restaurant like that in the neighborhood. And, you know, there are a few servers that work in that restaurant. And let's say one of the servers gets sick or one of the servers has a family crisis or family emergency and can't work for a while. In these kinds of establishments, it's not like, oh, you can't, you know, pull your weight. You can't, you know, do these shifts. Oh, well, I guess you're fired because the, 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 the restaurant really needs you. We're going to replace you with somebody who can work. No, they prioritize the relationship they have with that server as a human being over expediency, over quote unquote efficiency and over immediate bottom line. So what a restaurant like that might do is, you know, have the other servers, might volunteer to pitch in, you know, do a little extra shifts here and there, work a little bit longer hours. The owner will step in and maybe go into the kitchen and do stuff that they normally wouldn't do to cover for that employee so that that employee doesn't have to be fired, that they can, you know, whenever they can come back, they can come back and resume their, their role. And that's just one example of prioritizing relationship. And maybe in such a restaurant, you know, if a customer has been loyal for a really long time, you know, maybe, you know, if somebody has fallen on hard times, it's not like, oh, well, you can't eat here, eat here anymore. Maybe they get discounted meals. Or, you know, if somebody, if there's, I don't know, a big party in the community or a death in the community, I don't know, they're there for those relationships and they might serve food for free or at discounts, you know? So it's all about nurturing the relationships over what's going to give us the biggest bottom line in the short term. So that's one, prioritizing relationship over profit. And as I'm talking about it, even though I'm giving examples of like restaurants, because I think it's a really neat analogy, I invite you to think about how this applies to your business, whether it's product-based or service-based, because the only reason I'm talking about this, obviously, is because I think there's a lot for us to learn from this model and from the examples that we personally know of in our lives, in our communities. And so think about, okay, so what would that mean for me in my business, which is maybe a very different form than a neighborhood coffee shop or a neighborhood restaurant? But nonetheless, if I can take that principle and incorporate that into my business, what would that look like? So I want to give you that invitation. And secondly, the mom and pop shop business model, 
They are value-driven and quality-driven. And they have a set of values, like we value these things and we will accept a minimum quality of this. And we're going to choose our values and we're going to choose quality even when it cuts into profit. So an example that I want to give here is the fast food burger chain In-N-Out. <laughs> and In-N-Out is not a perfect example because it has scaled up a lot. And uh, you know, I'm from California where In-N-Out was born, and but I've been away from California so long, so I don't know the ins and outs of what's actually happening, ins and outs of In-N-Out. <laughs> so again, I'm saying this is not a perfect example, but this is something that they stood for for a long time. They didn't want to scale big because they had a minimum acceptable standard of quality. So for example, their French fries would never be frozen. They would freshly cut potatoes every single day in the restaurants and they had to be fried from fresh. And that is the kind of thing that other, let's say fast food joints, companies would give up. That's one of the things that they would have to compromise on in order to scale. Like it's, it's less efficient, right? It's easier on the bottom line if you can just use frozen, but in and out was like, we're going to put our foot down and we are going to use fresh potatoes every single day. And I think there are other things, again, I'm not an expert on In-N-Out, but I think there are other things that they do for to ensure what they deem is a minimum acceptable standard of quality, which is a very different standard than the normal, like the McDonald's of the world, right? I think it has to do with like freshness of vegetables and buying from local growers, stuff like that. Again, I'm not positive on the details, but that's at least has been the case for a good while. And in and out again, is driven by certain values. And while not everybody might agree with it, it's what they're known for. So for example, if you look at the bottom of the little paper thingy that they serve fries on, there's a Bible verse. And I think maybe on their like beverage cups as well. I'm not, I don't remember exactly, but there's always a Bible verse. And I would always like look at it and just like think it was like cool that they had you know, not that I'm like a Bible thumping person at all, but they are like, we are a Christian. We love the Bible. And it's going to be one of the things that we, that, that are going to be reflected in our, in our business, whether that's good for our bottom line or not. Right. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that will be f- customer facing that we are driven by, let's say Christian values. Again, not to say that everybody has to agree with Christianity, but it's an example of how you can be value forward and quality forward, even if that means you don't have as big of a bottom line, even if it means you grow slower because you got to figure out a way to source fresh potatoes every day, for example, right? So that's the second thing, being value driven and quality driven and really making good on those commitments to values and quality, even when it cuts into profit. So I want to ask you, what are your values that maybe you're hiding because you're like, well, that's not relevant to business, or maybe it'll turn some people off. Well, what if it does? What if it's worth it anyways? What's your equivalent of in and out being like, potatoes have to be cut from fresh potatoes every single day. We're not going to use frozen, right? And <laughs> to be honest, I'm a giant fan of in and out but I also love like McDonald's fries. So this is not something where I'm like, fresh cut fries are better than frozen fries and frozen fries are evil. I'm not saying that, but 
it's an example of where the business puts its foot down and says, this is what we stand for. This is the minimum acceptable quality. So what is your equivalent of we insist on fresh potatoes, even if everybody else is cutting corners and everybody else is using frozen and that's the standard, but we're going to rise above the standard because when it comes to this thing, it matters and we're going to hold to it. So what's your version of that? It's worth thinking about, right? And the third thing is that these, you know, neighborhood treasure mom and pop shops is that they tend to inspire loyalty from customers that goes beyond the scope of the transactions. And it's the kind of loyalty that makes people want to like protect these businesses and make sure they survive and almost like go as far as like want to take care of the owners so they can stay around and keep doing the business that the community loves so much. There's an example of a really famous bakery in Korea that became like a whole like institution in this, in this city where it's super famous and it's been around for decades. And in Korea, because we've had a history of so much like turmoil and war and et cetera, it's hard to see businesses that are very, very old, right? A lot of businesses are new because that's what happens when you, the economy gets totally nuked, like over the course of a century due to a lot of really terrible, you know, stuff happening. But this store in particular is like, I think something like, like almost like five decades old, which by South Korean standard, standards is like ancient. And what I read about this bakery is that you know, it's been around forever and people wanted to protect this bakery. And so when, oh, I think I read about like when there's a natural disaster, when there was a flood or, or a tornado or something like that, that kind of like what destroyed the building or something, right? People in the community would come and like help to build the bakery, even though they weren't being paid for it. It wasn't transactional. It, it was like, no, we have to save our bakery and people would rally to keep this institution going. That's what I mean when I say inspiring loyalty that goes beyond the transactions. So that to me is like so touching. It's so deeply moving to me to think about being able to create something like that. And it makes me like wonder how we as online communities, I mean, online businesses that serve, you know, particular communities. And just because we're not in one geographic place, for most online businesses, we the beauty of an online business is that you can serve people anywhere, right? But that doesn't mean there isn't a community. That doesn't mean you don't get to have a loyal community of people who follow you, love your work, love buying from you, get value out of your existence, etc. What kind of presence do I have to be to inspire the kind of loyalty that makes people want to step up and help out in times of difficulty, even like totally outside of transactions? What makes people treasure and value your presence so much that it doesn't feel like somebody else's business? Like they want to come and be part of, you know, the rebuilding or whatever it is. And that really makes me think a lot because it makes me think about what happens when you invest in relationships and you invest in people and you invest in a community. Because people are naturally reciprocal, it makes people want to give back. So how much Am I creating that versus, you know, just all my business is, is transactions. And once people buy something, they peace out. And I just always have to like go through these cycles of churn and burn and always have to get new customers. Cause when they, you know, once they buy it something and then they're just gone. 
right? So how do you build this loyal community? What kind of business owner, what kind of actions, what kind of commitments, what kind of relationships built over time enable that? I think that's such a beautiful thing to think about and really, really worth problem solving for. Now, the fourth characteristics of the neighborhood treasure mom and pop shop is that they share burdens with the community during hard times and they share the wealth during prosperous times with the community because they recognize that there is no business without the community that feeds it and supports it. So again, I can think of the example of that bakery, even though there are so many other examples. It's just a ha- one bakery that I happen to read a whole book about in Korea. <laughs> and, you know, when times are tough, when, you know, the re- economy was in a really bad recession, whatever, they would go and like feed, donate their, you know, baked goods to hungry kids. They would donate to homeless shelters. And if times are lean, that means that even for the bakery, business is not great. They're not like swimming in extra cash, but they would do these things because they saw it as part of their, oh my God, I'm like getting teary-eyed because it's so moving to me. They saw it as part of their responsibility to take care of people who have been hit hardest by rough times. And when there's, you know, let's say an economic boom or something, you know, this bakery got a national highlight. It was on TV or something and everybody's rushing to buy from the bakery and it makes a lot more money than usual. A lot of people were afraid that they were just going to like hike up their prices or sell out or something and get bought into a larger corporation, but none of that happened. They made sure that their profits, you know, went back into the community that they would share. You know, if we're making a lot of money, it's because of the community that has supported us all these years. And we're going to make sure that it really feels like the wealth is being shared and not just feels like it, that the wealth is, is being shared. So sharing the burdens and sharing the wealth because the business is one with the community. Again, so beautiful. So I want to ask you, and I'm asking myself, what does it mean to, you know, really take care of people when during hard times? And be willing to do more, to give more of ourselves, even if we're not swimming in extra cash either. What does it mean when we are in a flush period and making more money than usual? What does it mean, again, to share the wealth? What would that look like for you? Right? Questions to brainstorm on. The other thing that I noticed, number, wait, what number is it? to go back and recount. I think it's number four, maybe it might be five. I don't know. The other characteristics of these businesses is that they don't need to overspend or spend at all on ads because the customer base is already built on a network of strong relationships. If you look at these neighborhood institutions, they don't necessarily do ads. They might. I'm not saying ads are bad. Ads might be strategically used, but it doesn't depend on ads because there's a core base of customers who love this business and keep supporting it. So that's another thing that I noticed is that ads, while they can be helpful, it's so much more robust to have a core customer base, client base that is locally sort of rooted that keeps the business afloat. And once again, I'm talking about brick and mortar examples, but the same is the same applies online, right? 
just because you're not physically in the same place, it doesn't mean that there can't be a real committed community that rallies around a, a particular business, right? And I think I, I see examples of that in my own business. And so that's worth thinking about, right? Like, how do I create such a strong, rich, beautiful ecosystem of relationships that while I might invest in ads, it's not the main thing. It's not the biggest thing I have to spend money on. So the second last characteristic that I observed is that these institutions are relatively immune to fads and trends. I think a lot of the sort of hustly, churn and burn, extractive cycles of capitalism has a lot of business cropping up when there is a trend that says something is profitable, people want to buy something, and then everybody rushes to that thing. And as soon as the trend is over, as soon as the fad is over, then everybody abandons it and goes to do something else. And I see a lot of that in local businesses where I live in Korea as well. However, these neighborhood institutions, these treasured mom and pop shops, they don't really jump on trend bandwagons. They just kind of do their own thing. Sometimes in ways that almost feel anachronistic. Sometimes it even, they even feel a little bit backward, like a relic of older times. But a lot of times in ways that are charming, a lot of times that in ways that really add richness and depth and character and dimension to the community. And I just think about how dangerous it is for there to be an over-reliance on fads and trends because they're always going to change. So what goes deeper than fads and trends? What is more sustainable than fads and trends? And I think, again, it goes back to uh, core, you know, consistent quality relationships, right? And the kind of investment that we have in taking up presence within a community that makes people loyal so that it doesn't get shaken by things that come and go. And I can think of like restaurants in my neighborhood who've been doing the same thing for 30, 40 years. And I think they're, from what I've seen, they come under a lot of pressure from the outside to say, oh, you've been doing that thing forever. Nobody even likes that kind of food anymore. You should update and, you know, start selling what the young people like. And I'm sure there is a cost, and I don't mean to overly romanticize this, right? I'm sure there is a cost to not giving into trends and fads. I'm sure there are times when if they did make that more of a priority, they might make more money, but but they don't always. And again, this is not to say that you can never play with fads and trends, right? Some things are, I think that bakery that I was referring to, like they have seasonal specials. Like there, there are things that are current to the times. So it's not a total binary. It's not either or, but can't, do you have something that stands the test of time? Do you have something that isn't going to be killed when the next trend dies? And the last characteristic of the neighborhood treasure mom and pop shop business model, <laughs> maybe it's not a business model, it's maybe more of a business approach, is that for all of the reasons that I just said, this kind of business is resilient and it is sustainable. If a natural disaster happens and the building or the building catches on fire and the you know store is wrecked, they're not just done. They're not done because the community comes and helps to rebuild. And when they fall on lean times, you know, the economy is not that great, they keep afloat because the community re relies on them, 
And there's this beautiful reciprocal sharing of burdens that I was talking about. You know, they're so closely interconnected with this, with the community that it's so much more sustainable. It's so much more resilient. I've been thinking so much in the past year or two about how there are a lot of flashy, loud, successful, glittery, glamorous, you know, examples of success in the online business world. But then I asked myself, how many of these are going to be around in five years? How many are going to be around in 10, 20? What's going to become of these businesses? Are they a flash in the pan? Am I a flash in the pan? (laughs) How do I not be a flash in the pan? Right? I think we are so, as a culture, can be really short-sighted. And if, say, somebody said, oh, I made a million dollars in six months or whatever it is, then everybody rushes in and goes, wow, how did you do that? And that's great. I'm not saying that those accomplishments are meaningless, but also let's look at the business that has just been steadily going, that has been steadily serving their community and has been doing really good work and is consistently profitable year after year. There's leaner years, there's better years, but is fundamentally resilient. And you're so much more likely to see them still operating, still serving their community in 5, 10, 20 years, even if they don't have the glitz and glam and flash of some of the other businesses. And I think one of the things that makes people really treasure these mom and pop, certain certain mom and pop operations the most is because of their staying power in a world where so much is changing. Wow, that pizzeria has been open for two gener- like three generations, right? That noodle shop has been in that same place for 70 years. Whoa, what's their secret? And when you step into those spaces, you feel like you're entering into a different world. It feels like a different dimension. And if that store were to be bought up by a 7-Eleven or a McDonald's or a Kinko's, <laughs> how sad would that be? What a loss to the community, not just a loss to the owners, but what a loss to the community. It's a little bit morbid to put it this way, but I'm asking myself a lot. How do I do my business so that if, God forbid, my business were to go up in flames, people would really miss it, that my community would feel like something really important has been lost because I'm not around anymore? How do I build that, an importance, a value add, a relational, you know, importance that goes beyond the transactions. Here's what I'm here to hustle today. Like, how do we do more than that? How do we go deeper than that? How do we last longer than that? So as you can tell, this episode has been a lot more about questions than answers. And I'm really, really committed to having answers, exploring the answers with my community. That's you. And being able to create more of these relationship-based, value-based, resilient businesses that become a treasure and a pillar of the particular online neighborhood, particular online community that you are part of. So I hope that was really interesting and moving to think about for you as it was for me. And if you have thoughts about it, please share with me on social media, tag me. I would love to know. All right, my friends, I'll talk to you next week. Hey, if you're looking for a one-stop shop where you can find the best of my teaching, all organized into a beautiful and actionable sequence, guess what? I got you. 
I took the best of my podcast episodes and created a whole damn workbook around them. It's called the Simone Starter Pack, and it's the ultimate marketing cheat sheet. I got countless emails from folks who downloaded it saying, this free resource is worth more than all these courses I paid thousands of dollars for. So what are you waiting for? Go grab the Simone Starter Pack. The link is in the show notes. I can't wait to see what amazing results you'll get from it.